This is Encounter on VOA. Here's Carol Castiel. Welcome to Encounter on the Voice of America. On this edition of the program, is the ceasefire between the government of Ethiopia and leaders of the Tigray region sustainable? Hello again, I'm Carol Castiel. This month marks the second anniversary of Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed's so-called military operation to drive back the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, who had seized military bases in Tigray. What began as a military operation two years ago morphed into a full-blown civil war without a clear resolution until now. On November 2nd, the African Union brokered a ceasefire deal between the government and the TPLF, which appears to be holding. The talks between the parties were launched in late October in Pretoria, South Africa, under the auspices of AU High Representative for the Horn of Africa, Olushigan Obasanjo, former president of Nigeria, together with other members of the high-level panel for the AU-led Ethiopian peace process. Immediately after the cessation of hostilities agreement was signed, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken issued a statement saying, quote, we welcome the momentous step taken in Pretoria today to advance the African Union's campaign to silence the guns between the government of Ethiopia and the Tigray People's Liberation Front. We commend the parties for taking this initial step to agree to end the fighting and continue dialogue to resolve outstanding issues to consolidate peace and bring an end to almost two years of conflict. We welcome the unimpeded delivery of humanitarian assistance and the protection of civilians that should result from implementation of this agreement, unquote. In that vein, Reuters reports that the Red Cross said two trucks carrying vital medical supplies arrived in the capital of Tigray on November 15. This was the first delivery of aid since fighting resumed in August and the ceasefire agreement was signed. Meantime, the war which broke out two years ago this month has killed thousands of people, displaced millions from their homes, and left hundreds of thousands on the edge of famine. Well, for more on the status of the ceasefire and prospects for a durable end to the conflict in Ethiopia, we turn to two retired top U.S. diplomats. Tibor Naj is former U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs during the Trump administration. Among his many other senior diplomatic posts, Assistant Secretary Naj served as ambassador to Guinea and to Ethiopia, and Ambassador Donald Booth. He was U.S. ambassador to Ethiopia, Liberia, and Zambia, and also served as special envoy to Sudan and South Sudan. And both gentlemen joined me via Microsoft Teams. Welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Carol. Thank you very much for asking us. It's a delight to have you both. We were at these microphones last year while the conflict was going on. So now, Ambassador Naj, I'd like to get your reaction to the ceasefire. To what extent you think this could be uh, the beginning of a more sustainable peace? Well, first of all, you know, I was just so overjoyed that there was a ceasefire to begin with. It was very tough to get there. And congrats to the people involved, most especially African Union, then Obasanjo, of course, Kenyatta, the South Africans, and kudos to our special envoy, Mike Hammer, because he worked incredibly hard behind the scenes. So 
overjoyed at the ceasefire, but then the real, real difficult part begins. I was also quite relieved at the more recent meeting, which was in Nairobi on November 12th, where they've actually started now to come up with some of the implementation mechanisms. Most encouraging was the immediate establishment of a hotline and then some of these deadlines that they have come out with. But I think as my friend and colleague Don will talk about, the proof is going to be in the pudding and there are some very, very difficult steps ahead. That's for sure, Ambassador Booth. Devil is in the details. And so what is your reaction and thoughts about what it will take for this to be sustainable? Well, first of all, it's going to take the continued uh, political will of both the Ethiopian government leadership and the Tigrayan leadership to implement what they have agreed on paper now. I was pleased that the humanitarian assistance, which is so desperately needed in Tigray and in contiguous regions that have been affected by the conflict, has begun to move in recent days, and that the agreement that was signed on, on November 12th on implementation has addressed on a number of key points. But I still see some major issues looming. One of the provisions calls for the disarmament and demobilization of Tigrayan forces to occur in conjunction with the withdrawal of all forces other than that of the Ethiopian National Defense Force, which would mean the withdrawal of Eritrean forces as well as ethnic militias from neighboring states, particularly from Amhara state. The Eritreans have, as far as I'm aware, remained completely silent on their intentions in this regard. And the issue of the Amhara withdrawing from the western part of what had been Tigray province, or the Tigrayans still considered to be Tigray province, is going to be another contentious issue that could indeed delay the disarmament process. I certainly hope not. I think the suffering that has been witnessed by the people of Tigray and, and the neighboring areas is such that the political leadership needs to get on with continuation of the cessation of hostilities and truly reaching a political solution. Well, turning back to you, Ambassador Naj, what do we know about the balance of forces between the government and TPLF? What does this moment tell you about that? What kind of factors or changes on the battlefield do you think led to this particular moment? You know, that's a great question, because I, I think here is the crux of the matter. I think the protagonists finally came to the realization that there was not going to be a military solution. They were on the way to basically act two of this horrendous drama because it started out the premeditated attack by the TPLF on the Ethiopian National Defense Forces. Ethiopians with Eritreans and overwhelmed the cities in Tigray. The Tigrayans fled into the hills and then slowly retook most of Tigray and made a play for Addis Ababa. The Ethiopians beat them back and then slowly again started encroaching on Tigrayan territory, taking one town after another. So if that had kept going, I think it would have been replaying what happened before. And I think they came to that realization. Tigrayans were suffering terribly. The Ethiopian armed forces was not going to take all of Tigray, which is extremely, extremely difficult terrain to hold. So uh, now I think the professional military leaders came to that realization and they probably convinced their governments that they had to move forward. That's one of the really good things that I can say about this part of Africa. Both armed forces are disciplined and they follow the hierarchy and the command structure will stay in place. So for me, that is encouraging moving forward. And when you talk about military leaders, you're talking about, on the one hand, the TPLF and then the Ethiopian military leaders regarding the government forces. 
Yeah, it's very similar to what happened in our Civil War. You had very highly professional, competent officers. Most went with the Union, some went with the South, but a lot of them had been colleagues back at West Point or, you know, whatever. And that basically existed also in the Ethiopian National Defense Forces and the Tigrayan Forces. Ambassador Booth, how do you see this particular moment and what does it tell you about the balance of forces between the government and TPLF that brought them to make this compromise? I agree with Ambassador Naj that both sides realized that there was no military solution. This is something that, of course, that we've been saying for the duration of this conflict. But I think now that they've agreed to stop the fighting, and that has held, the forces are professional and they have abided by the agreement of the leadership. But a couple of things now, I think, are going to be telltale signs as to whether this is really going to hold. One, will the humanitarian access, the unfettered humanitarian access, continue to be honored? The second is the question of protection of civilians. If the Tigrayan forces lay down their arms, it will be up to the Ethiopian National Defense Forces and perhaps the federal police to provide protection of civilians. And they're going to be trying to protect civilians who have a high degree of suspicion of them. So this will not be an easy task, but it's one that if civilians don't feel protected, that it could indeed lead to a reigniting of fighting. I think a third thing, and this was touched on in the November 12 agreement, was the question of transitional justice. The leaders in both Addis and, and, and Michele have agreed on the need for transitional justice, but again, no details on this. And that's something that I think all will agree is going to be needed for the healing process to begin. More in just a moment, but first you are listening to Encounter on The Voice of America. Joining me via Microsoft Teams, our former Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs, Tibor Naj, and Ambassador Donald Booth, from whom you just heard. He was former U.S. Ambassador to Ethiopia, and we are discussing the ceasefire in Ethiopia and prospects for long-term peace. This is a reminder that our Encounter podcast is available for free download on our website at voaafrica.com encounter. You may also follow us on Twitter at carol underscore Castiel or connect with us on Facebook at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Well, here's a shout out to a Facebook fan, Berihu Hagos from Addis Ababa. If you want to hear your name and home country on the air, please send an email to encounter at voanews.com or like us and leave a comment on our Facebook page. So back to our discussion and over to you, Ambassador Naj, to uh, take a look at some of these sticking points and potential pitfalls in order to keep the ceasefire going to lead to a more sustainable peace. What do you say to the fact that neither Eritrea nor other regional forces allied with the Ethiopian government took part in the talks in South Africa? How can we be sure that they will abide by the agreement? Unfortunately, simple answer is we cannot. That is the huge, huge remaining question. I think more so regarding the Eritreans than maybe the Amhara militias, because no one really can figure out what Eritrean President Isaias's goals are in this whole dynamic. And he's going to do what he wants to do. He does not abide by any kind of international pressure. And I do not believe, unfortunately, that anybody's going to be able to make him withdraw his forces if he doesn't want to withdraw them. So that is the big one. But I want to say something positive, because to me, the two kind of big items that were involved here, number one, the Tigrayans are allowing the restoration of the state authority by the Ethiopian state. That's the big one. On the other side, reading through the various agreements, it appears that the TPLF will be able to remain 
remain as a party after this is implemented. So those to me are the two kind of overarching themes that are hanging over this agreement. Very good point. Over to you, Ambassador Booth. To what extent do you think the fact that Eritrea and other regional forces were not a part of the talks in South Africa, will they be an impediment or will they abide by the agreement in your view? Well, I certainly hope that they will abide by the agreement. I agree with Ambassador Naj that I think the Ethiopian government will be able to exert much more authority over the regional militias and the role that they might continue to play. But with Eritrea, I think that was going to be a, a much tougher nut to crack. I've thought all along during this conflict that Eritrea was pursuing two objectives. One was to settle old scores with their former allies and then adversaries, the TPLF. Uh, and secondly, to weaken Ethiopia relative to Eritrea. I think the Eritrean leadership has seen itself as should have a, a more rightful place of leadership in the Horn of Africa. And they had not been able to play that role with a strong Ethiopia. So this is one of the unsettled issues. I think another unsettled issue in all of this is the nature of the Ethiopian state. And that's really what has been at the core of this conflict. Will it be a centralized state? Will Prime Minister Abe's vision of a national party, the Prosperity Party, prevail? Or will the concept of ethnic federalism prevail. It's interesting in the peace agreement or in the cessation of hostilities, they agreed to the implementation of the constitution, which would seem to imply an acceptance of ethnic federalism. But I doubt very much that that is what Addis had in mind when it agreed to that wording. So I think this debate will go on. I hope it will go on peacefully rather than through conflict. But Ethiopia has had a long history of strong central states, which are then challenged by the periphery, that then fight the periphery and in the process weaken themselves. And then the state has to be rebuilt again. It would very much be in the interests of the people of the Horn of Africa, Ethiopia in particular, but also of the United States and I think all peace-loving countries, that stability could be restored and the process of economic development and economic growth could be returned to Ethiopia. Well, thank you for that, Ambassador Booth. Back to you, Ambassador Naj. Let's take a look now at this November 12th implementation agreement that you both referred to. Many steps, a hotline, the need for demobilization of forces. Where are we in that regard? Do we have a timetable with regard to the disarmament of the uh, TPLF, demobilization, withdrawal of other forces. Can you tell us more about that? There are certain timelines put into the agreement, but I don't think that they're going to be ironclad because a lot of this depends on being able to communicate to the various forces that are on the ground. And as Ambassador Booth mentioned, for complete demobilization of the Tigrayans, I think that will depend on what happens with the Eritrean forces, because Ethiopian forces are supposed to be able to go in and monitor the border. Also, the AU is supposed to be able to send monitors for the border to guarantee that there's no foreign forces left. So I think a lot of that will definitely stretch on. The important thing, from my point of view, in these kinds of very, very heated situations, it's really critically important to start with what we would call low-hanging fruit and kind of move up the tree to the more complicated and more difficult issues. So the immediate needs, as Ambassador Booth mentioned out, is the total access for humanitarian relief, for medicines, for the restoration of electricity, internet service, bit by bit. Anybody who has negotiated with the Ethiopians knows that it is a 
tortuous, laborious process because every single comma, every single semicolon is going to be discussed. But once they come to that agreement, there's a very good chance that it's going to be absolutely respected. So no one should expect any quick solutions on this, especially when you come to issues like the final status of what is called both Welkai by the Amhara or Western Tigray by the Tigrayans, which to me is going to be the most difficult issue that's going to be sticking out there. Indeed. So Ambassador Booth, what is the status of, in your view, you know, humanitarian assistance delivery and the protection of civilians, given the lack of trust between the people of Tigray and, of course, the Ethiopian military. Are there going to be monitors for that aspect of this deal? And what is the role of AU? Will they continue to play a role in implementation? Absolutely. In fact, the African Union has said that it will establish a monitoring and verification unit and that military leaders from South Africa, Kenya, and Nigeria, mirroring the leadership of the mediation effort, have been meeting to, I think, plan this out. I hope that that unit can be deployed quickly. It may require some assistance from some of the uh, outside international partners. If that's needed, I hope that that will be forthcoming quickly. Uh, You need to have monitors on the ground, people who will call a spade a spade. There will inevitably be different interpretations of events that will happen, particularly regarding protection of civilians. I'm sure there will be glitches in humanitarian aid delivery. But I must say, I was very pleased to hear from the head of the World Food Program, David Beasley, on the 17th of this month, that indeed a large convoy had been able to enter into Tigray and necessary permits were being issued by Ethiopian authorities. So this is a very positive development. The demobilization effort, according to the agreement, was supposed to start on November 15th. I don't know whether that has actually begun in practice or not. I think it's probably still in the planning stage. But I understand that there is a planned meeting in Tigray, I think, believe in McKelly, for some time in the month of December, where the two sides will come together to discuss directly implementation of the ceasefire, the cessation of hostilities, and it's to be followed by a meeting in Addis in January. So there are a number of benchmarks that we will need to watch closely, but they're off to a good start. And so I would hope we could hang on that positive note while keeping in the back of our minds that there are many difficult things still to be resolved. As I mentioned, protection of civilians by Ethiopian National Defense Forces is going to be very tricky given the climate of distrust. The question of accountability is something that is going, I'm sure, be contentious as atrocities have been committed. And I think the leadership is going to look very carefully about how they want to address that question. But it's something that I believe the people will need to see some accountability for why so many millions of people have suffered and so many tens of thousands have been killed in this conflict. And Ambassador Booth, that question of accountability, that comes under this transitional justice rubric, correct? That's correct. Ambassador Naj, with regard to the underlying problems, the distrust, the ethnic tensions, Even though the ceasefire deal doesn't really lay out a roadmap for national dialogue per se, where do you think that conversation should go, will go? Because it really is essential, it seems to me, in terms of a long-term stability so that this doesn't erupt in another couple of years. Yeah, I think before you can go to the positive, it's very important to stop the negative. One of the items mentioned in this agreement was responsible use of media, which is kind of one of those fuzzy terms, but I think it's critically important because a lot of the hatefulness in this whole conflict has been fueled by social media, and an awful lot of that was coming from the diaspora. 
on both sides of this conflict. And that really, really needs to be toned down because that has really fueled so much of this ethnic hatred. Some of the verbiage used was very similar to what had been used during the Rwandan genocide, for example, dehumanizing of your enemy. But you're absolutely right. Once the negative stops and this peace process begins implementation, that is absolutely a huge issue that Ethiopia is going to have to look at. But part of that also gets back to what Ambassador Booth was talking about, the absolute state of the nation. Is it going to be federalism? Is it going to be a much more centralized nation? Because that will also impact how the various ethnic groups look at each other. Ethiopia, yes, you have majority ethnic states, but then you also have Ethiopian ethnic groups that are scattered throughout the country. And that's where you've had a lot of these problems where, say, in Oromia, You've had attacks on minority Amhara that were living in some of the Oromo cities, or you know, you can take that to any number of ethnicities, and that is absolutely something the state will have to come to terms with. And this is going to be a long process. We're not talking about weeks or months. We're definitely talking about years. Ambassador Booth, what do we know about dialogue between whether it's Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed and the leader of the Tigray People's Liberation Front. Is there any dialogue among the political leaders and to what extent that can trickle down? What about a national dialogue that would be part of this reconciliation or transitional justice? Because it's going to be critical, as you both have said, for this to, that is the ceasefire and any kind of long-term peace to really take hold. Well, I certainly hope that there is dialogue, or at least will be in the very near future, between Prime Minister Abiy and Minister Debrecian, who's the head of the TPLF. But as Ambassador Naj said, there are many ethnic groups in Ethiopia, and many of them have actually turned to looking at their own identity, some of them doing so by taking up arms. The Oromo Liberation Front, for example, is an armed group which has created problems in Ethiopia as well. So this cessation of hostilities with the Tigrayans does not mean that peace will reign completely throughout Ethiopia. There are many ethnic groups who have grievances that will need to be dealt with. Perhaps a national dialogue is the way forward on that. National dialogues are often thrown about as panaceas to these problems. How they're actually structured and who participates has a great bearing on how successful they can be. But certainly Ethiopia, I think, is at an inflection point where it is trying to decide what type of state it is going to be. And that is going to take a lot of dialogue between all parties and not just political leaders, but I think people from the ground need to be heard from because they're the ones who suffer when the political leaders get frustrated and decide that they will turn to arms instead. And just briefly before we close, Ambassador Naj, what are you looking for next in terms of a benchmark for progress? I'm just looking for step by step moving forward. Unfortunately, in many respects, I mean, I know it's going to be Lenin-esque, three steps forward, one step back from time to time. But I think it's critically important for the international community to offer as much positive reinforcement as possible. Put down the megaphones. Yes, if something egregious happens, call that out. But don't just be yelling at them as this process continues, because they're going to need an awful lot of support. Anybody who's worked in Ethiopia knows the great potential that that country has, not just for Africa, but for the world. It could easily be a middle-income country very quickly in the right environment. So I think that this is an opportunity to end one of the most horrible wars, certainly this century, to just let peace come, let national reconciliation come but Ethiopia will need lots of help and support in making that happen. 
Well, Ambassador Booth, you get the last word. I don't think Ethiopians of any ethnic origin are anxious to see Ethiopia become a divided, much less a failed state. They take great pride in their long history, in their culture, their language, their religions. And I think that they realize that working together is the best way that they can indeed be an influence in Africa and on the broader world stage. And I think it's very commendable that the African Union has brought together some of its best statesmen to help the Ethiopians get back to a process of peaceful engagement. And I hope that the African Union and the rest of the international community will continue to encourage Ethiopians, they will encounter setbacks. There will be incidents that will challenge and make them question the goodwill of the other side. They need to persevere in this process and figure out a structure for the Ethiopian state that works for the vast majority of Ethiopians. Well, on that cautiously optimistic note, that's all the time we have on this edition of Encounter. I'd like to thank my terrific guests, Ambassador Tibor Naj, former Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs, and Ambassador Donald Booth, former U.S. Ambassador to Ethiopia. Encounter was produced in Washington with technical assistance from Rick Pantaleo. I'm Carol Castiel. Join me again next week for another Encounter on The Voice of America. 